All right, everybody. Does everybody in the chat room hear me all right? Hello, hello. Yo, Let, hey, what's going on there, Tim? How are you? I'm doing well. Has, has your day been well? It's been so well. How about you? Good, good. I have the. Oh, we, we just had a great show with uh, Steve and Jonathan. By the way, you got to you got to take a listen to that. Oh, sweet! I didn't know he was coming back on. Oh yeah, it was a great show tonight. We were talking a lot about homeschooling and um and 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 preparing children for the apocalypse through education. It, it, it was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time. And I'm glad to have you on now too. You're the reason why I know Steve and Jonathan. So it's great to have both of you guys in the same night. He's a dear friend of mine. We met uh, both writing for the Imaginative Conservative many years ago, and then we found out we were the only two writers west of the Mississippi, and we lived about four miles apart in Bakersfield, California. So, wow! Oh, well, he has a great dude. He has nothing yeah. but great things to say about you. So, anyway, we we have look at this a, a fantastic group of people in the chat room, a combined audience of your peeps and mine. Now they are all one, and uh, here is session two. Session two for The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis, who came up tonight in conversation. And I got to say, I don't know what your general thoughts, but I want to jump into a little bit more of the audience's uh, takes and what they had spotted in this thread. I want to do that a little bit more primarily tonight, and we can jump in from time to time and add to it and, and, and debate a little bit more. But just general thoughts now about what we got from pages 45 to about 85. It was chapters 6 through 9. What do you think? So good. So good. That sounds so good. Yeah, I, I had a, a chance to look at the audience response more more this time than I did last time. So sounds great to me. You, you know what you know what what came through for me in these in these uh, chapters a lot more this time around. Obviously, there's a lot more philosophizing going on as to why people choose to go back to the town hell. Uh, and and then I love that 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 revisiting of the nature of heaven and hell and how um, the, the the disparity between the two and a lot again great imagery that I picked out um, that we're starting to be able to see other things though I think the thing that hit me the most and we'll see what comes up for you and for the the audience but the theme of addiction really slaps me in the face in this. It's just behavioral addictions, not necessarily people are just tapping the vein, but but that that there's a, a lot of things. It compromises your ability addiction. If anybody knows anything about it, if you come face to face with it, if you've experienced it yourself, it compromises your ability to stay on the true and narrow. You're chasing that pink elephant no matter what your elephant is. And I don't know what's more frightening from what I read in this book when you start reading all of these, you know, these, these ghosts that are working with these spirits and they cannot, they can't conceive of letting go of one preconception or another and they choose to just leave. They don't want to do the work. They want to go back to hell. And I don't know what's more frightening to me that having one shot at life and being summarily judged for what you did on earth and having no other recourse but to go to hell for eternity or to be able to choose a corrective course even after death but still having your free will be so corrupted by one way of doing things that you still can't break free from it and you choose the same hell that you were stuck on you're stuck in on earth i don't know i don't know what what is scarier to me what concept is scarier 
after reading these uh, these these chapters again. Yeah, I mean, especially when we get ourselves off of the NIH version of things, the crass, reductionistic, materialistic definition of addiction, you know, which is strictly anatomical. And we come to the reality of what sin is. It's inherently public in nature. And it means opting for some creature over the creator. That's the definition of sin. So opting, you know, preferring a creature over the creator, preferring ourselves over God. And then, then it becomes really clear that that's what all of these people are doing. And I would say that on the whole, uh, if you identify the kind of two poles of the binary as being, the, you know, the Tolkien is the Catholic version. Tolkien and Lewis were friends. He offers the, you know, God sits in, in judgment and it's terrifying, you know, the four final things, death, judgment, heaven, hell you're judged and therefore you have to go to hell if you end up there because he sends you there or the Lewis version, which is a little squishier. It's a little Anglican. Um, you know, you choose for hell yourself. I would say it's a both and not an either or Frank. And it's like, we choose freely to go to hell, even though we ultimately are, are judged and, and, uh, adjudicated and forced to go there mm. by our judge. Yeah. No, I, I, it, it, that that definitely pops up. You can see the there's multiple angles from here. Um, I want to go. I want to go right into the the thread here because the first one is from Subvet, our good friend Brian. He says the cynic in chapter seven, and I'm glad that he started with chapter seven. The cynic in my in my uh, my liner notes that I gave myself, I called this black pill supreme. The guy, yeah. this guy is is just doesn't believe in anything. And I know that we see this all the time just from covering geopolitics and conspiracy theory and all that time. You know, why did you come? Oh, I don't know. Just to have a look around. I'm a short, sort of chap who likes to just see things for himself. Uh, you know, and then, and then even the other thing. Hell, oh yeah, yeah. It's a, that's a heaven. There's nothing up here. Oh hell, yeah. That's a flop too. It's all it's all a mirage. This is all nonsense. I mean. It's almost like uh, it's like talking to your average black pilled shill on any comment section on 4chan who just wants to kill your hopes in anything being real, even the bad thing. It's just like we're just we're just floating, uh, you know, in in uh, in just I don't know I don't know in stasis. Just there's just nothing. But he goes on. He says the cynic in chapter seven seem to sound a lot, a, lot, a lot like us who listen to, quite frankly, including myself, the arguments made and the doubt created rang to be quite familiar, similar or familiar. I really liked how it continued and was near the top of the narrator's mind when he met his teacher, the Scottish guy. The description of the waterfall area was beautiful, yes. It was the beginning to think, uh, I was beginning to think by the way the narrator traveled, he was becoming more solid until he later looked down at his feet with the narrator. Um, the rainfall piercing and hurting them was a great visualization, and the fear of now present in chapter 8 was expressed as a sense of danger. On page 61, the acceptance of shame analogy of touching a hot drink with your fingers but being able to drink was poignant. And finally, in chapter 9, had so much meat it's hard to condense. For me, it brought the story together at this point. Chapter, page 71, second paragraph, it goes... Those who say to God that thy will be done, and those whom God says in the end thy will be done, all that are in uh, all that are in hell choose it. This was the best summary. 
So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I meant about the both and. It's it's instead of choosing, you know, Thy will be done, capital T. And God says, no, you you, you in your heart you really opted for Thine, uh, lowercase T, yours, the the creature, and and that's that's what you get. Yeah, that, and when I when it comes to to that last chapter, there was a few things that were just I mean absolutely incredible. Um, again, from the addiction standpoint, the addiction standpoint here, this is chapter, this is page 72. There are, there are no doubts. Uh, some are no doubt. The sensualist, I'll allow you, begins by pursuing a real pleasure, though a small one. His sin is the less. But the time comes on when, though the pleasure becomes less and less, and the craving fiercer and fiercer. And though he knows that joy can never come that way, yet he prefers to joy the mere fondling of unappeasable lust and would not have it taken from him. He'd fight it to the death to keep it. He'd like well to be able to scratch but even when he can scratch, uh, but even when he can scratch, no more he'd rather itch than not. So it's ju- it just talks about these these uh, these cycles we put ourselves into, and that's where my fear. Uh, well, like I said, what a fearful thing to think about. Not my personal fear. I'm just thinking, what a frightful thing. And and, and what is it? it? At the end, is it just that? Well, here's the sum of your time on Earth, and now eternity is. Uh, you, you, it's just it has been set forth for you or you actually still have a choice of what kind of path you can what, what kind of penitential path you can take and still when you have paradise or the prospect of paradise in your face it just takes a little bit of, of work you those same kind of vices hold you back that is a that's a scary kind of prison it follows you into the next life yeah, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, if we could talk about what it is to be blackpilled for half a moment, mm-hmm. this is actually I mean, a bunch of great comments there. But but I'm I'm honing in on one thing I, I heard you say in the middle of that that last remark. To be blackpilled is actually uh, the one sin against the spirit, against the Holy Spirit, the unforgivable sin. To be blackpilled means you don't think you're worthy of being saved, or you're, you know, Kierkegaard calls it despair, right? It's it's one thing to have anxiety or to suffer doubts, but to have despair means you're in a state where you you no longer have hope at all. It's the sin against the Holy Spirit, and it's amazing that, well, again, I don't know how much of this C.S. Lewis is intentionally trying to mimic or intone, but all of the hellishly trapped. Frank, you used the word addicted ghosts that are going to be damned are all guilty of this blackpilling, this sin against the uh, the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it severs you. It, it really does. And, 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 and when you and when any kind of an addiction behavioral uh, that that tractor beam of addiction grabs you and pulls you off track and and turns a day around and you just you give in to certain types of thinking that 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 never serves you well and you feel like trash um it, it's always because you've you've lost connection to something that actually replenishes you and i've been able to you know actually find that to be my connection to to anything that is that is even affiliated with the holy spirit and it's it's very interesting, very interesting the night and day when you are unplugged from that source and you're brought off into something else that just does not serve you or your future. 
in any way, shape, or form, and um, and how, you know, again, how do you find the strength to push past it? Here's a, for the ghost, another writer, what do you know, another self-absorbed uh, artist. Here's one on page 85, 83, when he's looking around and he's asking about, you know, well, I got to paint. I've got a paint here. He said, when you paint it on earth, I love when he keeps saying, I'm going to, uh, I got to get up to the mountaintop because I want to be able to paint these things and heaven is, is, is gorgeous and needs to be painted. Wait, where does he say uh, that in particular? Let me see. Um, I've had my look. Looking comes first, but I've had my look. I've seen just what I want to do. God, and obviously he's using God's name in vain, said, I, I wish I'd thought of bringing my things with me. His things, like his easel, his paints, his brushes. Uh, the spirit shook his head, scattering light from his hair as he did so. That's the sort of thing no good here, he said. What do you mean, said the ghost? He says, when you painted on earth, at least in your earlier days, it was because you caught glimpses of heaven in the earthly landscape. The success of your painting was that it enabled others to see the glimpses too. But here you are having the thing itself it is from here that the messages came. There is no good telling us about this country, for we already see it. In fact, we see it better than you do. And and um, and I, I love I love that because that right there is that feeling that I was able to reconnect again with Lauren and I. One of our our, our honeymoon stops that we made in 2018. Um, we went to Maine. We were up on top of Cadillac Mountain. We we made sure we were up on top of Cadillac Mountain to be able to see a sunset, uh, the sunrise on the beach in in the Dominican Republic at her father's place. Little, little things along the way, where you just catch a glimpse of something that cannot. There's, there's the beauty it, it in itself is a religious experience, and you know you just know something that is bigger than oh yeah I'm standing on a beach right now. No 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 no. This sunrise is something bigger than that. It's speaking to me. It's a piece of heaven. It's a glimpse of heaven. And it and it's very hard to bottle up and tell people about it. Very hard to capture. Some people are able to do it better than others. I love that whole idea, that bleed over. Almost like when you're listening to 101.9 and you go over to 101.7, you hear you feel a little bit of a bleed over. I love that that imagery of heaven being shown to us throughout our lives here on earth and um as a sneak preview perhaps i love that yeah in theology we talk about modes of credibility and the if you talk to someone like bishop baron he's going to call it an aesthetic proof for god it's not a uh it's not a strict modal proof, nor is it a, a quia, even a quia demonstration, as Aristotle would term it. But it's just one of the modes of credibility for God. The, you're bleeding a little bit of one of the transcendental properties of God into time and space. Now, what all of the artists, all the writers, all the academics do, Frank, that we see through, through 10 chapters, I've read through 10, hmm. is they, once again... They substitute worship of the creature for worship of the creator. They substitute uh, a, a kind of adoration of the art, um, of the medium of the art for, for actual uh, worship or, or proper right-minded uh, respect for the art itself. 
such that you know c.s lewis describes it as the, the writer writes and he no longer cares about the the anything but the act of writing itself the painter once was drawn to the landscape the beautiful landscape and that makes him want to paint and then he gets so into painting if it's not properly ordered if it's not ordered at the creator if it's ordered just at the creature itself that he forgets about the creature and he gets into another creature a more derivative one the act of painting itself so there's a proper, there's a pyramidal structure here and a proper hierarchy of value, a proper hierarchy of order, which is any beauty that we experience, if we're not turned toward the creator by it, then we will get into the thing itself and we'll divinize it, we'll deify it, we'll reify it. And um, then we won't even be into the beauty of nature, we'll be into the beauty of painting, then the art of painting, then the technique. The academic does this, all the writers do it, and the the uh, fine artists do it. So it's it's very, very specific what he's accusing of white collar people of who who are here in hell. It, it's not and it goes and there's another level to that too, because there's the technique, there's the painting, there's there's the, whatever. And then there's the social aspect because if you remember, the painter starts asking about whether or not you know all all of the greats that went before him are up there. He wants to be able to hang out with this this crowd of painters who were the best of the best. He wants to go into this almost like heavenly social circle. And that is where the spirit that is handling this painter, who is, you know, on earth, he said has a lot of acclaim, uh, starts telling him that you have to you 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 don't understand. Up here, there is nothing that sets us apart. There's there is absolutely nothing that sets us apart. I'm sure that some of those painting greats that you're looking for are up here, but I haven't seen them. I've only been here a couple of years myself. And um and and it, it just it doesn't apply to this. And then when he reminds the painter, if you remember, I'm sure you do, that uh that he's already been forgotten. That he's already been forgotten on earth, and that strikes such a pang of fear into his heart that he wants to go back. He needs to be able to he needs to be able to to write, to put something out there. He he needs to go back. He cannot be forgotten because the 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 fame, the recognition of the painting, instead of again, what he was so blessed to be able to see. And deliver a glimpse to other people that was completely overshadowed and it had mutated into something else. It's a all of this holds, I believe, Tim, it holds a mirror up to all of us because we are all guilty of things like this in our lives in in losing track of and losing track of the uh, the ultimate. Yeah, it reminded me of chapter two or chapter three, the um, Anglican pastor who had to deliver a position paper on theology. And he's literally saying, I, I don't have time to go to heaven. Happiness in here is in doing one's duty. And I have to do this paper uh, next week. So I, I can't go to heaven and actually see the, the beatific vision, meet God face to face. Cause I, you know, I have to do my duty and present this paper on, you know, Jesus's philosophy. The, uh, the, the, the kingdom of heaven is an immature philosophy and I have to speculate on what it would be. So it's the exact same thing except the visual arts version. Yes. Yeah. I, I love it. And for everybody in the chat room, I know we have nearly a, nearly a hundred people watching, which I think is just so great. I am putting on coffee. If anybody wants any, you just come over here, you grab yourself a cup and then find yourself a, a nice 
comfortable chair again. Let's go into Sharon. Sharon says over here again, the flow of reading was amazing. It is written as if C.S. Lewis is painting a picture in every scene. As someone who dabbles in writing and painting, my favorite chapter from this week's session was nine, starting on page 83. And it's, it's exactly what we just did, uh, Tim. When you painted on Earth, at least in your earlier days, when he had the real thing that was driving him, it was because you caught glimpses of heaven in your earthly landscapes and on. So they, she caught on to the same thing there. This particular passage spoke, volume, spoke volumes to me. And on page 84, when the spirit says, that is not how you began. Light itself was your first love. You loved paint as a means of telling about light. End quote. I am constantly observing light and shadow in nature. Chapter 7 with the hard-bitten ghost. The cynic has given up on happiness. When he is finally having heaven offered to him, he cannot accept it. Page 54, when Lewis is talking about the hard-bitten ghost, says, Didn't we find that both sides in all wars were run by the same armament firms? Now, I, thought, I actually thought that was pretty based. That's based as, as all get out. Yeah, no, that, that's... <laughs> I'll tell you, he's black-pilled. Do not follow the black pill. They lead you to a place of despair. But as far as assessing how Earth was messed up and who was investing in the chaos on Earth, pretty based. And, and, and Certain elites. Let's <laughs> let's leave it there. <laughs> yes, yes. On the th- and on the same, which he uh, so he said. Uh, There's a bit more to the quote, but the words remind me of what's going on today and yesterday. But we can't let that make us become cynical, which is the easiest thing to do. Let's all observe the light. In C.S. Lewis's book *Mere Christianity*, he wrote. If we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And I, I wow, that's that's a great one in itself, but it's true. And you know what? For those moneyed interests in the world who have put all of their power behind creating world wars and conflict and the, the destruction of many generations of young men and it is all about bringing humanity to its knees to beg for mercy, to say, uncle, make this stop. We'll give you whatever you want. Just stop the destruction. We are tired. It's it, that, that despair is all a part of the war that is being waged all around us today. So I think, I think even though he did turn out to be the eternal cynic and chose hell, um, I, that's just, he was pretty based in that respect. And those, Yes, that's all I got on that one. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I didn't see any remarks on quick quick chapter 6. So all all I got for chapter 6 just not that we have to move sequentially but so because it's so obvious it's kind of the, you know, pose purloined letter on the mantle. The the apple, the fact that there there really isn't room in hell for apples is such obvious imagery on the mantle place so we have to say something about the apple you know bill gates has the you know what's the symbol for apple computers it's the the uh eve's apple with the bite taken out of it there's no room in hell for apples remember this character who wants to he's he's hiding from the waterfall which turns out to be an angel the uh other ghost is trying to hide behind a tree a bunch of golden apples fall on him. He tries to stuff his pockets with them and return to the bus. 
And the waterfall angel tells him that he's a fool for trying to take the apple on the bus. And there's no room for such things in hell. So we have to we have to confront this preternatural image of the apple is what costs us all. Yeah. After all, if we're if we're talking about the materia chirkaquam, I mean this is this is it. Thank you very much, Eve and Adam. That we suffer sin, sickness, and death, and judgment, heaven or hell only comes after those things because of a stupid apple. We have to be able to look back on this for a moment and realize how how silly it is that you know the great cost of we're going to have to be parted from our loved ones before being reunited to them if we all go to heaven, and sickness and the uncertainty of of sin. All of this over an apple, and this is what this character in chapter six is risking it all for. Probably not risking, jeopardizing in a certain way his eternal salvation for an apple. He's reliving the original sin. I'm glad that you're bringing it up um, because finally he he could not pick up any of these apples. Uh, Finally, he tries to pick up the smallest one he could find because he can't actually lift it. And he says, uh, I saw him rise, staggering to his feet, actually holding the smallest of the apples in his hands. Um, and then, and then, of course, you have this uh, great voice that suddenly said, fool, put it down. It was quite unlike any other voice I had heard so far. It was a thunderous yet liquid voice. With an appalling certainty, I knew that the waterfall itself was speaking. And I saw now, though it did not cease to look like a waterfall, that it was also a bright angel who stood like one crucified against the rocks and poured himself perpetually down toward the forest with loud, with loud joy. Fool, he said, put it down. You cannot take it back. There is no room for it in hell. Stay here and learn to eat such apples. The very leaves and the blades of the grass in the wood would delight to teach you. Um, that is, uh, like you said, there's so much symbolism, especially going back to Adam and Eve. And I think that's what I took away mostly in chapter six. It was more beautiful imagery, though that never stops, and learning how how in dire physical condition these newly arrived ghosts really are. Here, here's another beautiful chapter I liked, right on page 46. I mean, a paragraph I liked. Near the place where the fall plunged into the lake, there grew a tree. Wet with the spray, half uh, half veiled in foam bows, uh, flashing with the bright innumerable birds that flew among its branches, it rose in many shapes of billowy fo- billowy foliage, huge as a fen uh, as a fen laid land cloud. From every point, apples of gold gleamed through the leaves, and I'm just thinking of this this dreamscape, and actually being there and how surreal it might be, I, I and um. I think putting myself there is, it's awe-inspiring and also very, very nerve-wracking because the first thing I would be thinking is I have got to keep pushing because I've got to try to find somebody I know and I want to find, I want to find family and friends. I got to do the work. We, I, I just got to, you know, you ever have a nightmare, Tim? That's why I, I love this book. It is because you know it's, it's heaven and you feel good about it. Because you know that, all right, at least I'm here, I'll do the work, and something really great is over the horizon. I want to get up that mountain. But at the same time, you ever have a nightmare where it is a beautiful, calm, sunny day, but you are just all alone in a field somewhere, and you're just all alone. It's a picturesque day, but you're all alone. That that has always been some of the more unsettling dreams I ever had, and... Um, 
that's a it's a little bit here that I take it I take from that. I, yeah, I've never had that particular nightmare, but you know what? As a kid, before I fell away from my faith, which I, I think I'd done by confirmation in eighth grade, I remember being in third or fourth grade asking my mom and dad this, like, heaven's actually really daunting. Like, what if I'm just up there alone? And yeah, it could be perfectly sunny. It could be perfectly beautiful. I know I'm not in the bad place, as Huck Finn regularly calls it. I know I haven't gone to hell, but... I don't want to be all alone. And of course the childish mind or even the mortal mind of man just can't conceive of the fact that you're going to be perfectly filled by a plenitude of happiness. And, and yet, yeah, you, you want to, that's the first thing I think too. I mean, I have a similar temperament in that way to you. It's like, I want to find, I want to collect the goodly people that I loved that had, that have made it, you know, there's a funny relationship says Aquinas between those who make it to heaven and those who, who don't. But I at least want to scoop up the people that I'm, I'm there with. I don't want to be all alone. It's a hard thing to conceive of. Uh, well, it, I yeah, it is very hard, very hard to conceive of, and I, I don't know why it's so, why it's so off-putting too. Especially when you know it, it's one thing. That, oh, I had a bad dream last night. I was all alone trying to fight my way out of a haunted house. But why why is the sunny, beautiful day so off-putting? And I, of course, the loneliness is there, and the whole prospect of eternity. And uh, it's like, well, who do I share this with? Um, here's here's something, because I, I want us to know what people are frustrated with as well. Uh, Wayne S. says, I have read through chapter 9 and had a lack of total understanding in chapter 5 and 9. I totally understood what was being exchanged, but my difficulty was in distinguishing who was saying it at times. If the speaker yeah. had been more clearly indicated, maybe, then the flow of the conversation would be more understandable. But the same thing was a problem in both chapters. Lewis seems very vague in indicating the speakers. And I gotta say... I agree with him. If there's any kind of weakness, at least that is expressed in this book, is that uh, Lewis has a hard time distinguishing different voices. Yeah, he does. Without without many names, I guess some names get sort of incidentally used. The only hard distinction he seems to make is between ghost and spirit, and I keep forgetting which one's which. Yeah. It could be a kind of medium is the message thing if he is really clever, though I agree. I, f I find it frustrating as well. Everything's a little bit of a dreamscape to me. I don't ever feel certainly certain identifying, oh, this is that place. This is heaven. We're on the way to heaven. I've been letting you talk about the particulars because I'm like, it's so dreamish. But if he's really clever, Lewis, uh, again, this is this is the idea of it's emanates strictly from you know the typology of the human soul until the general judgment when we get our bodies back you know aquinas says that we won't even have our most of our memories our, our phantasms are actually uh bodily as much as they are spiritual so you're going to have uh you'll you'll be pure embodied spirit until you get your body back at the general judgment and so i think i think this is kind of a apropos capturing of what it might be like you're kind of like what was my name i i know i know why i'm here i probably reason similarly to how i reasoned when i had a body on earth but i'm not quite sure what's what and to be fully honest i've i've found that frustrating for the like narrative arc because half the time uh i'm listening to this on tape and the 
narrator who's really good at doing it will give the same voice to different characters. I'm like, oh, was was he him? Was this the guy that got knocked down in chapter one? Yeah. So I found it challenging as well, sincerely. Yeah, it's a, a little bit, it gets there. It really does. Especially when what you said that there's no, there's not, it's not a normal, uh, it's not a normal read of, uh, of, uh, of a work of, I should, I should say, it's not a stereotypical or conventional work of fiction where everybody has a name and uh, a pretty big, you know, pretty more defined background that we can latch on to after a couple of chapters and know what is what. Like you said before, there's a lot of interchangeable usage of ghost, which I know pretty universal and pretty, I should say, exclusive. Ghost is the ghosts are the new arrivals, but there are spirits. There are the solid ones. There are angels. Those those are the the heavenly celestial kind of characters that come in that I don't know if they're being used interchangeably. Obviously, angels are different from kind of like, you know, uh, almost like uh, chauffeurs or, or uh, ushers. Seems like people who had passed on before and had taken that journey up the mountain are almost doing like public services, coming back and bringing in new arrivals and, and being welcoming and greeting like an usher at, at a theater or something like that. So I don't right. know. I, I guess spirits and solid ones are all about the same but then there's giants and then there's unicorns and and there's leopards and and bird it, it really is like a it it i would love to see this turn into a movie it would be trippy as hell it would be nuts but um okay let's keep going uh let's see chapter this is from njsf says chapter six i like the imagery of powering through adversity making making seemingly little progress but then becoming aware of how much one gets used to and the savers the details of the new awareness here's a quote here once again i realized that something had happened to my senses so that they were now receiving impressions which would normally exceed their capacity near the place where the fall plunged into the lake there grew a tree wet with spray half veiled with foam bows that's what i was talking about before and from every point, apples of gold gleam through the leaves. That sets beautifully the stage for the allegory of greed presented by the struggle of Ike, the single golden apple tree, uh, bringing the image of the original sin, just like you were talking about, uh, it picked up the same thing you did, bringing the image of the original sin and the tree of knowledge, good and evil, the attempts at catching and carrying apples away falling or failing until the smallest can be carried in the most painful way the contrast of image brought uh, via the uh, via Dolor uh, dolorosa and the flawed soul trying to take the apple following by revelation of the futility of all this effort by the bright angel in the waterfall fool he said you cannot take it back the very leaves and the blades of grass in the wood will delight to teach you so yeah I, I'm, I like that we're all seeing the same thing. That's great. Um, I'm going to jump to page two and work backwards so that any new, you know, I want to make sure that everybody's in here. Uh, especially if there's, did, Tim, did you see any comments in the thread specifically from the Tim Gordon crowd? I didn't. I checked a little bit earlier and I only announced it earlier today. I checked a couple hours after I announced it. I didn't catch any, but uh, I did you know, sorry guys, if I skip these, we'll we'll uh, 
we'll be extra mindful to make sure to uh if you want to get a comment and get it in early for next time and i'll check it plenty i i didn't see any no doubt okay well i'll make sure that i'll make sure that i send you um the link of the new thread that i'll probably publish tomorrow so they have an okay. entire week to start doing it um good today can it, i say it, one thing frank please, about just the same many. other frust yeah frustrations it, it just in terms of um logistical mild frustration is it only gets addressed in chapter eight when he wants to see if there's evidence ghosts can stay by the waterfall in the river and if so he's like i want to stay i want to be in heaven it's it's a little frustrating that we have to figure this out on the fly isn't it i mean this is sort of the basic rule by which one either thrives or dies in in heaven like can i just kind of chill out and stay even if that means suffering through it because our guy is smart enough to know he ought to stay in heaven. I found that logistically challenging that you don't know that from chapter one or two. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, the, the intentions, the intentions of all these new arrivals is are, are very are confusing. But then again, you can see, like I say time and time again, the only thing that makes this make sense to me, aside from suspending uh, suspending any kind of disbelief and and just immersing yourself into a tale that hits on a, a a lot of very important topics about how we conduct ourselves and what we find focus on and what we need to broaden our scope on and keep in mind the important things and not get swept away by the frivolous. Um, the thing that is resounding for me over and over again is that we are bringing our, we're focusing it on characters who are still carrying around their very irrational, self-defeating human tendencies with them into new places. So why would somebody get onto a bus to go to a place that they didn't really have any intention of really committing to the work of doing? Uh, why would they go there just to be able to look around and say, yeah, this place is a flop and so is the other place. And it just completely, I, it really, I think is just a, it, how, how do you put the lowest common denominator in the human sphere, in this earthly sphere, as far as a, a human and all of our, all of our tendencies how do you take the lowest common denominator and throw it into this this heavenly scene you know what would we what, what would we be unimpressed by what would we be a little frustrated and and down in the dumps about the kind of work that has been set forth before us that's what i just keep telling myself yeah why because because why why the hell if you know that you are you're facing the choice between heaven and hell what the hell choice is there to make right if you had right. a choice, what choice is there to make? Right. I mean, that is that is the, the thing that when you're a teenager or whatever and you're sizing up the prospect of Christianity and you think you're smarter than than everyone, all the Christians that have passed before you, you're like, come on, if it's a clear choice, I'm I'm going to opt for heaven. This is just how this works. It, it, I, I wish it were a more clear binary choice. That's what I used to always say something like that but what 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 we don't take into account is precisely what we see these ghosts naively not taken into account which is that in the state of concupiscence their intellect is seriously darkened their will is seriously in a non-negligible way oriented at something other than the good the, the purpose that we were given to, right there are two parts of the soul that are immortal right the intellect and the will 
basic basic stuff. The intellect knows the good and the will is supposed to love the good, both of which are ultimately God. So knowing and loving. Our ability to even recognize the good, that's our intellect, is so darkened by this, the fall of Adam and Eve who ate, ate the apple illegally that often we, we make basic mistakes. And that's what renders plausible the kind of mistake that you were talking about a second ago. Mm. Like, why can't we even see what we have? what's in front of us why can't we make this basic decision and same thing with our will it's not capable even loving the creator which is infinitely better than even the cool what's the coolest thing in creation you know a ferrari uh you know beautiful mansion okay think of how much more infinitely uh, sublime the creator must be because he carries that capacity to create within him and you know and this is what these characters one after another is missing yeah and there's also you'll see because i have not seen it in up until nine and based on the fact that you said you read until 10 and you haven't brought up this one particular exchange i have to imagine it's coming in the next couple of uh pages or so but it's more so about there's there's another one that possesses a person you're gonna see we're gonna we're gonna get into a mother a mother who is very possessive over her children and 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 it calls into question what is real healthy love uh, so that is coming up too that i really really enjoyed that um but yeah there, there's there's right on right on what you're saying there uh mama yo said hello i just joined the forum because my husband was having too much fun i'm sure all of us can either relate or know someone who relates to some of the ghosts and their baggage and their sins i was struck by this quote from chapter nine or an organizer of charities that had lost all love for the poor it is the subtlest of all snares the person who came to mind was Bill Gates. If you read Melinda Gates's The Moment of Lift, you can get a full picture of his philanthropic, philanthropic philosophy versus hers and one of the causes of their divorce. She said, I should clarify my husband was having too much fun with the book club and commenting that I wanted to have my own opportunity with you all. Well, there, thank you for that. And I think that you're talking about, that, that brings us, I think, to the area of the grumbler. Yeah. You, the grumbler. I, where, where is... I had that... Here it is. Page 76. We start talking about those sins. What troubles you? Uh, what troubles you, son? Asked my teacher. The, uh, the Scott is talking to the, the main protagonist now. I'm troubled, sir, uh, said I, because that unhappy creature doesn't seem to me to be the sort of soul that ought to be even in danger of damnation. She isn't wicked. She's only a silly, uh, garrulous old woman who has gotten into the habit of grumbling and feels that little kind uh, feels that a little kindness and rest, a change would do her all right. And he says, and then of course the response is, that is what she once was. That is maybe what she still is. If so, she certainly will be cured. But the whole question is whether she is now a grumbler. The response to that, I should have thought there was no doubt about that. I, but you misunderstand me. The question is whether she is a grumbler or only a grumble. If there is a real woman, even the least trace of one, there's still inside the grumbling. 
it can be brought to life again. If there's one wee spark under the, all those ashes, we will blow it until the whole pile is red and clear. But if there's nothing but ashes, we'll not go on blowing them into our own eyes forever. They must be swept up. So what do you think about that whole idea about the grumbler? Not someone who is running a scam, who is stealing, who is committing murder, uh, who is just caught up in the... The, the the I don't know, maybe the, the, the hamster wheel of sideways thinking can't get focused. I don't I don't know. Napoleon in, in, in one ways, obviously he has he has dealing with wars and people and building an empire. There's a lot of bloodshed there. There's a lot of things that goes on in the pursuit of power and glory on earth that could send you to hell. But as far as the way that he was rumored to be spending his time in hell, walking back and forth, grumbling, talking about think talking to himself about all the things that could have gone wrong, uh, to a lesser extent, someone like this woman. What do you think? What do you think about her prospects of... Why? Why does someone like her get get sent away? I think I think the distinction that Lewis is strongly flirting with here is the distinction between mortal and venial sin, serial sin, serious sin, and and um, regular sin. Like Napoleon, among being maybe he sounds like he's become a grumbler, but he's got more serious stuff to deal with. Like arguably in the last four hundred years, anyway trying to be the primary opponent of Christianity. He was trying to destroy Christianity on earth, but yeah, he seems to be a grumbler. What the point of this whole screed on this grumbling woman is, is that if there's just a little bit of her that's left as her, then she'll make it the, This is very, very, very thinly camouflaged, not even meant to be camouflaged doctrine of sanctifying grace. So if there's even a, corpuscle of sanctifying grace in us then we make it that's that's the rule if there's even a little bit of sanctifying grace that that tiny little spark will be blown into raging embers and then a fire and we'll make it so you don't have to have 100 percent. you have to have 0.0001 percent and lewis is just using you know he's sort of de-romanizing the language as he is fond of doing but all his friends were catholics and he's just saying if there's a portion of her that's not strictly sinful even if it's just venial sin, then she'll make it. And yeah. I, I thought I thought that was very interesting the way he's sort of, with all due respect, he's domesticating the the uh, the more legalistic sounding teachings, at least in the minds of his uh, you know his non-Catholic but Christian readers. That's interesting. Um, I like that, and it makes me uh, it makes me feel a little bit more happy going home knowing that I have a uh, a point zero 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 one percent chance of. Not having everything ruin it for me, man. That's great because yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm doing the work, Tim. I'm, I'm I'm really trying over here. I just, you know, try. I'm really trying. That's just what it is. Did you see the thought? Did you see the part in here that uh, page seventy nine? The thought in heaven trying to seduce all the angels. I I did. I forgot. It was just just a line, right? Yeah. yeah here, uh, I have. I have angels written down in front of me, and I know it's from that line, but I, I didn't understand it because I was listening to it. I was taking notes, but I was driving to New Orleans airport to pick up some friends, and so I would, I, I'd 
write myself some notes really quickly while I was driving. So uh, well, what, it, what was the angel it, and the thought? No, no, not, not the thought, the thought, the e-thought, pretty much the embodiment of all of the e-girls you have shaking their asses on, on Instagram for likes and all that stuff who just have, have nothing to offer the world but th their asses in a bikini. Yeah, uh, T-H-O-T. Yeah. T-H-O-T. Yeah. I, I love this. The, I think the most pitiable was a female ghost. Her trouble was very opposite of that which afflicted the other. The lady yeah, yeah. <laughs> the lady was frightened yeah. by the unicorns and didn't want to go near. This one seemed quite unaware of her phantasmal appearance. More than one of the solid people tried to talk to her, and at first I was quite at a loss to understand her behavior to them. She appeared to be contorting her uh, she appeared to be contorting her all but invisible face and writhing her smoke-like body in a quite meaningless fashion. At last, I came to conclusion, incredible as it seemed, that she supposed herself still capable of attracting them as was trying to do so. She was like a thing. She was a thing that had become incapable of conceiving conversation, save as a means to that end. If a corpse already liquid with decay had arisen from the coffin, smeared its gums with lipstick, and attempted flirtation, the result could not have been more appalling. <laughs> <laughs> in the, yeah. in the, Steph was laughing at that. Yeah. In, in the, the car, end, but. she muttered stupid creatures and turned back to the bus. Wow. I mean, it, it, if he only knew what would be going on in the 21st century. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <Yeah. laughs> My God. Yeah. By by even the late 20th century, the, those those chicks are going to be running rampant, and it's. Uh, yeah, ever anything anything for the lipstick it seems. Uh yeah, we were we were chuckling at that one. Now she was she back to back with the um woman who's obsessed with the concept of shame. It was two two females in a row, right? And I think this was chapter 8, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was the one that was was really really scared and she did, oh yeah, 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 she she was shame. where is the, actually I think I put that thing about shape shame here or was it the grumbler that they were talking about is the grumbler the one who the solid ghost is trying to get this woman that i have in mind again see we we need names this is where we need names yeah the solid ghost tries to get the one woman ghost to stay he tries to coax her by saying look shame's ephemeral she says it's even worse than being seen naked back on earth is they, they're looking through you which is an interesting image you could have a field day with that and she refuses and he's like, hold on, there's one more thing I can try. And that's when he calls the herd of unicorns. Yeah. I, I'm getting these characters mixed up without names, though. I was like, wait, is she the is she the e-girl? I, I, I remember a quick a quick transition between those two female characters. Yeah. Yeah. No, she, she was not the e-girl. The e-girl the e only had about, uh, she had about one, one paragraph of existence, which seemed like the, yeah. the entirety of, of her time in heaven as it was. But um, yeah. But yeah, uh, let me go to a one. We're making good time, nine thirty-seven, and I'm so glad that we were able to put the audience in focus here. Uh, Trevor Phillips says, "George McDonald of Chapter Nine caught my attention the most for this session. That heaven is real and works retrospectively to the sum of all experiences was delightful, and equally moving was the expression that hell is and always will be the state of mind." I um. I, I have a whole thing here on this. I think it's page 69. I, I wrote to myself that the whole page was great. And I think that it really, um, 
it really when it comes to what hell has all the different ways that hell comes to exist for a person it really on a socio-political 21st century level it it just exemplifies how leftism contaminates everything including the past um do you have anything on this because i'd love to read through this page uh just that from what what he says is ingenious and it's not overly artsy or anything like that lewis it's look from the perspective of being outside space and time it's easier to conceive of being outside of space from being outside of time this is exactly right uh if you think as as doc is always telling marty think fourth dimensionally right (laughs) he's like right i'm always bad at that like marty says to doc from the perspective of eternality once you get to heaven or hell, you will have always been there. Very difficult concept, but wow. you, you gotta you gotta think fourth dimensionally, Marty McFly. Wow, that, yeah, that is very difficult. Yeah, that, that I mean, is. just by definition, that's once you're out, when you're thinking from the perspective of eternality, which is the mind of God conceiving this stuff from not only outside of space but outside of time. This 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 justifies the entire rationale of of what he says on that page. This is page 69? Yes, 6970. Let's read it then, because here he goes, um, Son, he said, now this is his his, uh, Scottish mentor, MacDonald. Son, he said, you cannot in your present state understand eternity. When Honoros uh, looked through the door of the timeless, he brought no message back, but you can get some likeness of it if you say that both good and evil, when they are fully grown, become retrospective. Now, this is where I start underlining like crazy. Not only this valley, but all their earthly past will have been heaven to those who are saved. This references back, I think, to the the uh, uh, the preface of the book when they were talking about talking about what heaven and hell is to somebody who either on earth puts heaven before earth or puts earth before heaven. That creates the hell. Um, or vice versa. But he says, not only in this valley, but all their earthly past will have been heaven to those who are saved. Not only the twilight in that town, but all their life on earth too will then be seen by the damned to have been hell. That is what mortals misunderstand. They say some temporal suffering like, quote, no future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven once attained will work backwards and turn even that agony into glory and some of sinful pleasure will say let me have but this and i'll take the consequences little dreaming how damnation would spread back and back into their past and contaminate the pleasure of the sin which i thought again was so um relevant to where we are right now on an earthly socio-political level because you think about how leftism cultural marxism what it does to sustain itself and especially to introduce new grifts into the uh, into the public sphere is to go back through past through the past and try to convince people that all of the good memories they had of the 90s the 80s the 60s the 50s was not actually good you were living in a time of tremendous oppression and darkness and you need to atone for it that that they have tricked people into thinking that all that was good in their past compared to the hell that we are in now where people can't think freely 
They have to they have to sift through 13 pages of uh, of terms that you can't use to be able to appease the politically correct monsters that we have to live around and all that stuff. They they try to convince you the past was all bad, all bad and needs to be completely erased. I, I think that is so wonderful to see that get tied right into the uh, the effects of sin and the creation of hell. Yeah, I like that a lot. I and I hadn't thought I haven't hadn't applied that calculus. I like that. I mean, that's exactly what they do, right? They not even just the '90s or whatever our fond nostalgic childhoods are. I mean, they do that with the, the true greatest generation in this country is the the founding framing era, right? Yeah. And it seems really great, right? No, it turns out that was something called colonialism. You know, what rights did uh, trans? sexual Nazi hookers from Mars have then, you know, they weren't woke back then. So no matter how good it seems on paper, everyone farmed land and was virtuous and Christian. And uh, we had liberty, true liberty. No, they they were colonialists. So I, I, I do like that. It, it's funny that you it can also be applied to heaven, though. Once you make it to heaven, it'll all be part of the struggle. Steph said out loud in the car, well, is this is this then purgatory? I mean, we're getting into with chapter nine, the internal mechanics of what this whole bus ride is, aren't we? Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, it, it, yeah in chapter nine, for sure. And, and it is this purgatory. In fact, I think that there is there is a direct reference to that in here in uh, that from this standpoint where you are. You did prioritize heaven over earth, and you are willing to put in the work, and you're willing to set your baggage down and move forward and, and work toward the glory of God, and to be able to climb that mountain, that hell was always just a temporary place. It was purgatory. It was just a step, it was a step along the way of some, some, uh, some penance that needed to be paid, but um, it is hell for those who are, who are are coming from an angle that this was always going to be a permanent home, you know, and, uh, and there's very little way that you can, you can, uh, sanctify yourself or atone for, for one thing or another. So I, I saw that, I don't know where it is, but they reference purgatory from that standpoint of then being, yeah, that that's a place because it was hell. It always was hell, but you were only there. You were only there for from one stop along the along the journey, and um, for all of the imagery of fire-licked dungeons and you know uh, uh, the lakes of rings of fire and lakes of fire and all these very torturous Hellraiser kind of uh, kind of grisly scenes of hell that has been passed down and published and you know visions and all that stuff. Uh, the one thing that I have always seen that comes up as a resounding theme from from multiple places was that hell was just simply the absence of God and the complete absence of God and it, it is a, a a bottomless harrowing emptiness that you know you think about your worst depression and if you've ever been in a depressed state if you really ever felt depressed um, it, it is a, it is an inescapable pain that you you can't shake you think that you'll never shake again and for you to know that that is going to be inescapable oh i don't know a hell that's worse i don't know a hell that's worse so to to, so i can see that how purgatory could be this waiting room where yeah you are disconnected from god 
but there you're on your you're on your journey there but for forever if that's hell that's forever that disconnectedness that that is as as good as a hell as good as a torture as anybody can need to send a point yeah he's again always lewis is always quick to domesticate the romanisms right um which are the defide uh point is a both and it's you know, between the particular and the general judgment, when you're just an, a disembodied spirit, it's utter godlessness. It's confronting the notion of eternality as an empty spirit with no purpose, uh, utterly lonely. But then once you get your body back, the the uh, the it's a both and in in the actual torments of hell and the rings of hell begin. And he he says that so I think he said that last time in. Uh, chapter five four or five he says it's a both hand but yeah for for now we're dealing with people presumptively before the general judgment and so these are people without their bodies yet who are just confronting the the maw of meaninglessness yes yeah and, and you know i want to one more thing because we're coming up on the end of the hour right now and i want to place i want to read sylvia sylvia's comment and we'll just rock on that and then i'll give you the because I think that we have, uh, we only have two more sittings here. We only have, I don't know how many, 57 pages left. So I, I picked a good point. We have two more weeks. Here's from Sylvia. It says, the thing I find myself asking with each ghost and their particular issue is, do I see myself in this ghost? Yeah. It is so much easier to see the speck in someone else's eye. Do I share some of those not-so-heavenly qualities? Even a little bit. Self-reflection is important. As we've read through taking self to the extreme, it is not going to get you into heaven. Got to find the balance, as with all things in life. One of the things I ponder are the ghosts who just don't want to do the so-called hard work, emptying one of oneself in order to completely and wholeheartedly accept the gift of God for his self. The Father wants all of me. I love that he does. Wondering if there are Franklies reading this who are non-believers, and if so, how their interpretation dif- differs from those of us who are believers. That is, that's interesting. I, I uh, um, oh, wait, and there's, a, there's a, a, a response to that. This is only partially an answer to your last question. I am not a Christian uh, in any traditional sense, as Christianity in any sense as an organiz- organized religion has been corrupted, but I think that the basic message transcends the beautiful form of the story. Uh, so yeah, there's a little bit into somebody who is who is not um, who is not in in the Christian world that is reading along and experiencing this. So that that's an interesting question. I would love to get more. If there's anybody out there who is reading this, listening to it afterwards, let us know uh, if that is your experience. I'd love to bring it up next time we're around. But um, yeah, that 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 whole theme of self-reflection, Tim, I think that is a, a major one. It's going to be a major one when we when we wrap this one up. It's really about looking at ourselves and how we're living right now. Yeah, yeah, amen. It was great, great stuff. Yeah. Great comments. I like using their comments. This is very effective. Yeah, it is. I think we're going to do it for the next two weeks because this was great to have the audience just lead instead. And next week, I'm sure that we're going to get even more from the Timothy Gordon crowd. Um, speaking of next week, here's what I got. Session three would be pages 89 to 116. 89 to 116. It's 30-something pages. 
and 116 is uh, the end of chapter 11. So we're only doing two chapters, but they're they're pretty long chapters relative to everything else. So chapter 10 and chapter 11, and that cool. means that the uh, the last week the last week will be just under 40 pages. And wow, well, Tim, this is definitely no windswept house. <laughs> yeah, that just dragged on and on. We'd be doing this until April. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was good, but it 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 something can be good and drag on and on as well. Speaking of which, we just watched that uh, Emanuela, uh, yeah, Orlandi Emanuela that 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 Netflix four part series, and it brought all explicit windswept house themes up. We'll we'll have to we'll have to talk about that. But what? Why? Yeah, to send me this. I don't even know what you're talking about. I I want in. Vatican Girl, Netflix, four-part series. Go watch it. I know you go home from doing this. Watch that with Lauren if, if you can. Okay. Uh, good stuff. Good no, stuff. No doubt. All right. Well, T Timothy Gordon, I know Steph is in the background over there. Hello, Steph. I hope you guys have a wonderful night. Anything you want to leave people with? Uh, uh, a reminder, a plug, uh, a, a wish, a hope? Well, good, good wishing everybody in here uh, well. And Godspeed. God blessings in your lives. I, I hope you're being enriched by by reading this i know we are and uh yeah deus volt yes man yes i i am and i'm, I'm glad to be doing it with you as, as well everybody in the Always. chat room you've been wonderful uh thank you all for joining us i cannot wait for next wednesday it'll be a good one and i will publish the next thread tomorrow so that everybody has more than enough time to just drop some thoughts and questions and and uh, don't and i want to remind everybody don't force yourself to have something good to say too if there's something that is truly frustrating you or you are not clear about any part of the actual story um anything i, I want to examine everything so uh, yeah. and i'm sure tim does as well but don't don't feel compelled to have to be in agreement with people and just let us know what you're seeing yeah clarification questions are fine because a lot of people are having a hard time with the, the dreaminess of this all. So I know I kind of am. At yeah. parts. So if you're like, wait, what, what is this? <laughs> I, I was appreciative when a couple of people did that. Wonderful. All right. All right, guys. Have a great night. And we will see you all soon. Uh, take it easy. Bye, Frank. Bye-bye, brother. Peace.